0: Make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Clarissa Kennedy, and today we have a great show for you with a concept I have embraced myself and I hope resonates with you too. It's called body neutrality. It's a shift in perspective from body hatred, disgust, and dislike to a body that can be respected for its abilities, our vehicle to experience our life in. Do you know 97% of women have an I hate my body moment every single day? Here, we are just looking to honor the body as is and move along the body image continuum towards a more neutral zone. We are not trying to expand the door on beauty or put the focus on the body at all. Body neutrality rejects society's complete and utter obsession with appearances and recenters our attention on our inner inherent worth. You don't have to love or hate your body. It can just be. Today, we have guest Anne Poirier who talks to Molly and I about how to become body joyful. Anne overcame her own eating, food, weight, and body image challenges. Drawing upon close to four decades of experience, she wrote the book, The Body Joyful, to share her highly personal and life-changing journey. Furthermore, Anne is a certified intuitive eating counselor, body confidence coach, and eating disorder specialist. Anne is the leader of the Body Joyful Revolution, a non-diet, weight-inclusive community for women who want to feel more comfortable and confident in their bodies and selves. Listen and learn how a simple shift of perspective around our thoughts and beliefs leads to a complete different behavior and outcome. Also, you can choose to think differently about yourself. Our bodies are amazing vessels we get to experience our lives in. They're not a measure of our worth. Today, we cover why body neutrality rather than body positivity and how the body positivity movement can actually be harmful. What are some steps to body neutrality? How do we break free from diet culture? What are some coping strategies, tools, or actionable steps we can learn for emotional eating and stress eating? What are her thoughts on the scale? How we can clean up our social media? some actionable things we can do today to start working on our body image. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. All right. We are so excited to have Anne Poirier today on the show. So welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and share just some of this information because I think we all see it differently. And the more concepts we can kind of hear around our bodies, it's better for us, right?
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So can you share a little bit of your personal story? Like what inspired you to write the book, the body joyful, and what was like your aha moment in this body journey that brought you to the concept of body neutrality?
1: Well, it's body neutrality has really been a lifesaver for myself as well as a lot of the people that I work with, because it's that body that sends us down different rabbit holes, right? Whether it's negative self-talk or punishing our bodies or however we choose to use, you know, whatever kind of numbing factor that we can pull out to help us, you know, survive, not liking ourselves and not feeling good in our bodies. So I started out really young, not liking my body. So part of it just, I think stems really, and this is how I talk about it in the book, Doing writing the book really allowed me to step back and see my whole life from a completely different perspective. And that was so helpful to be able to actually go, well, it's no wonder that I thought this way because of all of the, these things that were going on around me. right? So that was part of what really cemented for me, this hating of my body. And it was a nickname my brother gave me, right? It was a, a doctor weighing me and telling my mom, you better watch out what she eats because she's on that high end of the scale and then not really being able to fit in all the cool clothes. So they're so typical things that happen to us as we grow up and I just took them all in. I internalized them all. This is who I am. I must be wrong. It may stem a little bit from being adopted. So I was adopted at about four months old, chubby little baby, cute chubby little baby, right? So all that, that gets, you get described that way. So those are just all the messages that I received. And then I internalized them all and thought there was something wrong with me. So that wound me up on my very first diet at right in between 11 and 12 years old. And I ended up in the hospital with anorexia nervosa. So it just spun me out right away. And I'll age myself a little bit here. This was in the early 70s, mid 70s, when it really wasn't very popular. Like no one really knew what it was about and my mother, I bless her, she, she passed away a couple of years ago. She really was relentless to figure out what was going on with me. And that's what she did. And she found out what was happening, got me to a psychologist. And that got me well enough, right, the hospital, and got me well enough to kind of live semi-normal And the reason I say that is because I went into fitness thinking, oh, well, fitness will keep me in shape. It'll keep my body in check. This will help me. So I spent three decades in the fitness industry continuing my disorder. You know, I call, I really say to myself now I have been part of the problem for a really long time. And now I'm trying to be part of the solution and step away from being part of the problem. So That fitness piece was really where my aha moment came when my body just started to break down and I couldn't do what I wanted to be able to do with my body in order to compensate for the food that I was eating. And all of that just spiraled down into a new new disorder, similar right, exercise compulsion and the eating and everything. So... When I was in the hospital, this is my little breaking point, and I tell the story in the book. I, I was in the hospital to actually get a bone in my leg broken so that I could straighten they could straighten my leg so that I could continue to pound on it. And when they couldn't do that, I stepped back and said, "There's got to be a better way. something is not right here." And that's when I started to just do my own research, dive into my own help, you know, hired a new psychologist to help me out, got on some medication, and then went back to school for eating disorders. And that's where I learned all kinds of things that just opened my eyes and said, why didn't somebody tell me about this sooner? And that's really where things started to shift. And I started to come out of what am I going to do now? And how can I not be part of the problem anymore?
2: Wow. So really your story really begs this question though of why body neutrality and not body positivity
1: and isn't that the the way we think about body positivity that's what people are oh you got to love your body you love yeah that's the goal if you just love your body then everything will be okay And for me, after decades of hating my body, you know, really the subtitle of my book is from self-loathing to self-acceptance. It's not from self-hatred or another word there. And it's not to self-love either. It's to acceptance because the publishers actually wanted me to use love because it sounded better. And I said, I can't, I don't want to go there. So it was way too much of a jump to even think about liking my body. And so this neutrality word really stuck with me as this is the saving grace. This is a resting spot. This is something that I can get behind and be part of. Now, it was part of a program, a class that I took, and I just grabbed it and said, that's what I needed. I knew that was what I needed. And that's how it started to kind of build a little bit of momentum. And I created some courses around it because I knew I wasn't alone. We are, there are so many people that are just hate their bodies so much. And to just jump some so far down the continuum to loving your body or feeling great about your body, it just, it's unfathomable, right? Mm-hmm. I just can't even think about doing that. So that's where neutrality landed with me.
2: Yeah. And so then in your work, have you found that the body positivity movement can actually, I mean, is it helpful for people or do you find that it's harmful? What do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on the positive, the positivity that we hear all about all the time?
1: <laughs> right. I think it's who whatever it works best for you. There are so many words that we can hold on to for ourselves. What's gonna work for you? If positivity works for you great. But if positivity is something that just doesn't feel right, there are other words, You know, body respect, honoring the body, body appreciation, body neutrality. There are other words that we can use to step into a place where I don't have to buy into hating it and I don't have to buy into loving it. And I can be in this middle place and start to focus on some of the other wonderful things about who I am rather than focusing always on the body. So I think it has a place. I just, it depends on the person and where they're coming from.
0: Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, body positivity has also been so commercialized, right? And that it becomes like a selling point with so many products. And that was never actually the original purpose of the movement was the fat acceptance movement. And now it's just become a way to sell things. And it's, you know, pretty much thin privileged women showing pictures of their cellulite and it has lost all meaning. And so again, the part that I always struggled with is still that focus on the body right and that need to get to that place of love, which, as you said, for most people who struggled with eating disorder, food addiction, that it just seems unattainable. And then it's one more thing I'm going to fail at because I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm certainly not going to be able to do it every day when I'm a woman who has hormones and sometimes I'm bloated and sometimes, you know, clothes don't fit me the way I need to fit. Like, it's just, there's so many parts of it that are just setting us up for failure and that's that's why I get so I got so excited about the body neutrality. It was the same way as you. When I started learning about it, I was like, oh, I have to get in. I need to talk to her about this. Everyone needs to know about this. So I couldn't be happier that you are here. And so can we talk about the five steps
1: to body neutrality? Sure. Well, I think there are lots of steps. Right. And to anything, any any kind of change we're trying to make, any kind of shift that we're trying to make, I think about. What's not working? If something we continue to do it over and over again, right? And it's not giving you the result that you want. We have to make a different choice. And what might that be? So there are lots of different ways that people can step into this body neutrality movement for themselves. And the very first one for me was to just declare a truce on the war with my body say, this is not helping me. So I would never say this to anybody. And I had two daughters. I have two daughters. They're still alive and thriving. But during a lot of my own disordered thinking and behavior, they saw a lot of that. So that was very helpful And then this. Let's not beat myself up in front of them anymore. And let's call a truce on this war of my body. And so that's kind of the big one. And the other part of that, which may be another step, but is to really become aware of the negative self-talk, the voices in your head that just get really mean and dirty and really hard to hear and noticing those. And how can we shift those to a more compassionate voice or even a more neutral voice, just a, a fact based voice? These are my thighs they help me do this very less about what they look like and more about their function so this spot of really becoming aware of how your voice is hurting you rather than helping you so and as we kind of talk about the voices i think they all kind of fall into each other so if i'm starting to talk a little nicer to myself or even more neutral to myself how can i start to see my body and focus on the things that i'm i am good at right? Or I feel comfortable with. And one of the exercises I use, which I think this works so well with people is to have them identify why they like other people. And when we start to describe why we like other people, we start to have them write it down. It never has to do with the size of their body. It always has to do with all these other wonderful traits and qualities of that person to start to see person differently because the people that like them, then we kind of reverse the exercise, do the same thing. Why do they like you? Why do do they want to be around you and hang out with you? And they write things down. And then all of a sudden they see themselves from a different perspective. So that focusing on something different, instead of looking at the mirror and focusing on the things or the parts of the body that you hate, start to see the body from that a change in and perspective and then there's a couple more which would be just let's let's start to be appreciative of our bodies how can we do that and can you set yourself up for we know there's so much research on gratitude and can we be grateful for our bodies Uh, and the last one which is i think the hardest is the social media stuff you know how do we just clean it up you know scrub our our social media feed a little bit so that we're not feeling always being hit by negative thoughts and negative feelings or comparison or judgment. Yeah, it's so
2: interesting because that's been one of the things that I have really noticed myself doing. I'm either getting off of platforms completely or taking a break from them completely or the ones that I'm still on. It's like I'm curating that feed so that like they are women that look similar to me. So I'm not constantly like watching some you know very thin woman like powerlifting hundreds of pounds thinking oh that's what I need you know because that's where my brain will go oh that's what I need to do and then I will look like her and that just simply isn't the truth I mean <laughs> at all and so it's like oh okay like maybe I should find people that right like that I maybe identify with a bit more so they so along that line you know many of us really have you know, little T, maybe big T trauma around diet culture, this relentless pursuit of thinness or the perfect body. And, you know, we're just really wondering what can we do to really break free from the, from the culture, from that pursuit of thinking, I have to look this specific way. I have this specific number in mind for the scale or my my blue jean size, you know, how do you work with clients around that issue that must come up?
1: Oh, for sure. It does. And that's such a great question because I think it is one of the hardest pieces. Diet culture is everywhere. It's everywhere. You you can't not see it, right? It's one of those things that everywhere you go, you can't go to a coffee shop without hearing people talk. We have calorie counts on everything now. And that, you know, it's probably wonderful for some people, but horrible for a lot of people. I would say most people, to be honest. So this diet culture piece is how much time and energy and money are you spending trying to fit in to that mold, trying to be someone that I don't know if you'll ever get there. And one of the things that I I told my husband at one point, he just said, "I don't think you've ever said that before." Was that it didn't matter what I weighed. It didn't matter what I looked like. It was never good enough. It was, I was always trying to look different so that even the number on the scale, I throw out all the numbers. I just let those go. Those aren't, if, especially if they're taking up time and space and thoughts and they're changing my, the way I feel about myself and they're changing my behavior. So those are all linked. And so if I notice that something is making me feel a certain way that I don't like. That's not helpful for me. That's when I have to take some deep breaths and go, "Okay, I can choose something different here. I can choose to not buy in to diet culture. I can choose to not buy in to what society has told us we should look like. I can take back my own power around that and realize that I can make some things up if I want to, that's Photoshopped, that's airbrushed, but if it's helping me feel better and it's not hurting anybody else, why not? So that's, that's where I go with diet culture is to how do you just make a choice, you know, to stay this, this isn't helpful for me. I don't want to be spending all my, I just think about the time and the energy and the brain space. Oh my gosh, the brain space of all of that and never being able to break free from that. It was always a constant in my head and to make the choice and say, I can do other things with that space in my head. I can make a difference in another way. I can do other other things with my life than this relentless, I like the word, right, Molly, the relentless pursuit of of that. So that's it's just so hard. And that's and I say that it's hard, period, because it's always there. Okay.
2: Yeah. So in your program, then do you, or, or I don't know if it's a program specifically, but like in how you work with with clients, do you, I mean, is there ever a point when you take them almost by the hand and say like, listen, that's literally diet culture and like point out, you know, all these scales, all this all right. Like, um, I can't even think of something off the top of my head right now, but you know what I mean? Where it's just, it's everywhere. Like even like you said, going to a restaurant and the calories are on a menu, you know, the latest gimmick of, you know, Hey, drink this thing or eat this thing. And I keep getting a random spam text message. That's like lose 22 pounds in one month. And if not, then you get your money back. And I'm like, why am I getting these text messages? (laughs) Like, is that anything that you work with clients on? Like to just really point out and, Open their eyes to like that is all marketing and fear mongering. Any of that?
1: Yes, you have to. I think to point it out and say this is what it looks like, and especially since I think you know my bigger mission now is to to help our next generation not have to go through all of this that we all went through. At least minimize it somewhat. So having parents be able to teach their children right or educate their children around. Diet culture because it is everywhere, and you know there are some great books out there. There are some great studies that we can share around. You know, and the the one that pops up for my in my head is um, Christy Harrison's anti diet, but it's it's just a lot about some of these facts. So that helps us see where diet culture kind of was born and how it's gotten so strong and why we all buy in, and then just seeing some of the the stats on the money that go into diet culture. And once you can start to bring that as a, as the umbrella, and then you say, well, see, you know, see, see, and that helps the conversation along the way when you can see it everywhere. So, especially like the, the, I think one of the hardest times is in the grocery store, right? At the checkout with all the magazines and Yeah, and all the candy at the same time, right? All of it. Yeah.
0: It's a double whammy, right? And it's, uh, I thought it was really interesting when I was reading some of your material, I saw that, you know, 90% or 97% of women have a, I hate my body moment every single day. And it's, you know, that's everyone. So it's not just those of us that have a disordered relationship with food or body. It's everyone. Cause I think most of us do. And so how do you help women with that constant negative self-talk that we've had and we've had for years? I mean, I certainly. Have clients who are like no this really motivates me you know i can't not have this voice that's telling me like what not to do and that you know it's it's really like if i lose this voice i'll just let myself go is what i hear sometimes Mm. and so how do you work with women when really we know that negative self-talk contributes to like bad self-image you know lower confidence and that i'm not good enough not worthy
1: Yeah. And it's so hard because it is programmed. And one of the, one of the places when I was doing my own healing that I got some training and and did some work is self-talk and self-talk institute with Shad Helmstetter. So one of his books is what to say when you talk to yourself. And it's such a great title. It's an old book, you know, you can pick it up anywhere, but it's an old book and really what hit me is that I have flooded and we continue to flood our brains with the same messages. So they've really worn these deep, deep grooves and pathways. And so when I talk to people about their own talk, you know, their own negative self-talk, I use this image and I don't know if either one of you have heard this, but I think about a, a grassy field And from one point to another point across this grassy field, you know, a little five-year-old girl says, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I just did that. Or I just can't believe I just ate that. Whatever they said. And they walk across the field and that fuels them and they get something from that. And then at 10 years old, they flunk a test or something happens and they're walking across that field of this, it's, that was one of my own kind of voices was this, oh, you're so stupid. Why are you always doing that? And that just spiraled and got meaner and angrier, but year after year after year. And if we're walking year after year after year over that same pathway, it gets really deep and we get really good at it. And all the grass is grown up all around your little pathways And if you want to start to change the way that you talk, you got to step into the weeds and boy, that is not comfortable at all. I'm much better right here. I'm much better beating myself up. It's comfortable. It's familiar. We don't know that if we start to use a different voice that we can be okay without thinking, oh, I'm just going to go off the rails. This is what keeps me comfortable, unfortunately that. So with, I, that it. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we do use a similar image or idea. I think Clarissa does use the field. I always use like the Oregon trail and the rutted wagon wheel path, <laughs> you know, and like we have to get out of it and it's very easy to fall back into it. So it's such a great, it, you know, we're always open to new things because I think mm-hmm. people hear what works for them. And, and so mm. thank you for that. Definitely along the lines of that negative self-talk and really challenging that do you then coach people around finding more neutral self talk or do you go to the positive self talk side of things?
1: It all depends on the person. So, every person is going to be different. Some people can go into some more positive words for themselves and affirmations for themselves and things that work. Others, not quite so much, that the neutral is much better. And so, starting with some of those neutral phases, I am human. I'm doing the best I can. Those kind of things that are just, I always say, if, if you can have one that's a go-to, that you can go to on a kind of an automatic, it helps at least start to not walk on the negative pathway. And that's progress. If we're not walking it, that's progress. It's going to start to overgrow a little bit. So one of my favorites, because uh, I have these voices, I named them. I have a mini me and a maxi me they there. They have conversations and I have all these mini me's and they have a neighborhood in my head and all of their conversations that they have. But that's that helps me kind of pull them out of myself and see them as these voices that that I've developed over so many years. And so one of my favorites is thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing that. And that helps me just go, okay, pause. That's your mini me and that's not helpful for me right now. Thanks for sharing that though. I'm gonna I'm gonna validate it and hear it and then I'm gonna choose to think a different thought so it's slow going and it all depends on the person i have some people making their own like self-talk audios and dr shad has his own like self-talk audios and those helped me a lot I, you don't even listen to them they're just in the background just the way we learn our own language we're just flooding the brain with conversations and words and phrases that we don't use for ourselves and this is a different way to help our brain feel more comfortable with them rather than shut the door on them because they don't feel comfortable.
2: It's a really great idea to record your own voice saying these really like neutral or even positive things, like you said, depending on who you are, how your brain responds to that and to listen to that on repeat. I mean, we've spent, like you said, years flooding our brains with these negative messages, whether they were our own, interpretation of something that happened or somebody else's voice showing up with this very specific phrase, right. That we just, we can't let go of. And so yeah, to flood with these more neutral or positive messages. What a great idea. Listen to it when you go to bed or yeah. something, right. Or on your walk and get those hemispheres of your brain going while you're both hemispheres going while you're, you're walking and integrate it a little more. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So, so thinking about that, knowing that, you know, these negative messages that show up, so the mini-me, maxi-me, well, mostly the mini-me kind of thing. If, if you guys read her book, Anne's book, The Body Joyful, she talks, you know, she really slips these voices up and, and talks about the different, you know, I think there was like a, a clumsy one and a not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and that all these voices come together. So thinking about that, I imagine we run into this with clients and I know we do. You know, this idea of emotional eating, where like this voice shows up, it has this message, this thought then has this feeling attached, and then there are these action urges. And often for our clients, it ends up being eating because of these emotions. How do you help your clients with that? What are some actionable steps or coping skills that you teach or encourage your clients to use that might be useful around curbing emotional eating?
1: Yeah, it, and that's such a good question because it's always is always appearing we are emotional beings so we are going to feel emotions and somewhere along the line i think we were taught that um, that these certain emotions are bad and that you shouldn't have this emotion you shouldn't be sad you shouldn't be angry you shouldn't be stressed out that they're somehow not right and i shouldn't feel it or there's possible something attached it could be an experience again that something is attached To a particular emotion that makes us feel not good. And then I don't want to feel like this. And that's where we turn to food or whatever it is that we turn to. And so for for one of my favorite quotes, and I use this quote because I think it helps, it helped me. And so, but it does help because we're creating the pause and it's from Viktor Frankl, right? And it's between stimulus and response, there's this space. So we always have this space between the thought and the emotion and the behavior. So there's a space between each of those. How can we widen that gap enough so that we can take a deep breath and go, where am I? What am I doing? What am I feeling? And then how can I start to give myself permission to feel certain emotions, to name them, to say, what's really, what am I really feeling? And to validate my own feelings. Sometimes the only person that's going to validate how you feel is you. And that is okay, I can validate this feeling because it's mine and I'm having it right now. What's going to be something that can help me experience this particular feeling? What will that look like for me? If I'm angry, will it help me to call a, a friend of mine and vent or will it help me to journal or will it help me to get outside and take a walk? It's a, got a high energetic feeling to it, right? Feeling to it, um, anger does, sadness is different. Maybe I just need to cry. You know, sometimes I just say, oh, my heart hurts and I can just allow myself to cry and be okay with being with these emotions that helps not drive into behavior that is just going to make me feel horrible after good for two seconds, horrible for three years. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's it. So it's getting to that place where we can practice the pause. Right. And Molly and I definitely work with clients around this, even saying like 90 seconds can make a difference. Right. Just Mm -hmm. 90 seconds. So like how that can transfer into different behaviors. If you just take that second to see what's going on for you and what you really need, which is not food. Right. Not Mm -hmm. at that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Mostly it's a hug or high five or punch some pillows because you're angry, whatever it is. Yeah, it's going to like feel the feeling and don't be afraid. So I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I heard you talking earlier about the scale and like that specific number. And I mean, I can certainly relate to like the number never being enough and like that number never creating this ideal life, which I imagine that would happen at that number when I would be my happiest and most successful and whatever when I look at like that that number, I only got there with restriction and, you know, body violence, I would say in a Mm -hmm. way. And uh, it's certainly, you know, still never satisfied. And so we work with so many clients who struggle with the scale. And, you know, I heard you mention before about, you know, that number, it can lead to like restriction or it can lead to reward. And so how do you work with clients around scale use? Like, is there a place for it in a body neutral practice?
1: And I, you know, it's, and I sound like a broken record because it's always going to depend on the person, but part of that classification for, at least for me, for when I work with clients is when you step on a scale, does it make you feel something bad or good or happy or sad, whatever it might make angry or frustrated? Does it impact you and your feeling? If it does, it's probably not useful because that feeling is leading down that chain reaction of the behaviors too so it's going to lead to the the negative thoughts it's going to lead to the punishing behavior it could lead i always i always think about no matter what this the number on the scale is whether it's one that you like or one that you don't we kind of branch off into two behaviors right we either eat or we don't eat so no matter what so why even step on it especially if it's going to make me feel a certain way And I know that scales talk to you. So I know that it can be very, very difficult to say no. I'm not going to step on that. I I don't weigh myself. I have no idea what I weigh. My doctor doesn't even bring me to the scale anymore. You know, the nurse, when she comes in, she knows that I don't weigh. So that's, you know, that's a wonderful thing. If you can find, you know, know that you can say no and that I don't want to be weighed and you don't have to be. And that's helpful for me because I know I have to talk through the the language of what I would do. If I step on that and it says this, this is this 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 and this are going to happen. If I step on it and it says this, this this this, this and this are going to happen. Are either of those helpful for me right now? How much power do I want to give this piece of metal? And so I do a little, you know, I have a little conversation with myself to say no, it's not worth it. So thanks anyway, but I'm not going to step on you. And thanks for having this little conversation. And
2: <laughs> I'm going to step away. So. So that brings up this question that I have, and I don't know if you can answer it, but certainly um, I know that we work with clients who often for medical reasons need to maybe release some weight. And, but it drives that cycle, right? That you were Mm -hmm. just talking about. And so we have to approach it really carefully because one, we don't, our lane is not weight loss specialty at all, right? Like we don't specialize in that. That's not what we do. It's it's really about, you know, other things, behaviors around food, foods as substances of abuse, that kind of thing. But when you have a client that shows up and her doctor has said, you know, you need to drop this weight in order to have, you know, these consequences go away, kind of deal. And she can't get that out of her head, or he can't get that out of his head you know, what do you suggest? Like, do you run into that with your clients and, and this practicing of body neutrality? I mean, is there, I mean, is body neutrality the way around it? Like, what do you do? What, like, what steps would you take?
1: That's, that's when you think about how much power, again, I'll use that word that we give the medical profession as well. How can we take whatever the doctor said and say, let's acknowledge it, let's validate it and let's put it on the back and say, it's there. If we focus on it, that's when a lot of the behaviors show up and a lot of the feelings show up that aren't really all that helpful because we have proof, you know, how's that been working for you so far? And so if we say, let's see it, know it, hear it, acknowledge it. And what behaviors can we focus on that will get you there? What are the behaviors? Let's, we know that that's there, but take the focus away from that, but it put it like You know, intuitive eating, Evelyn Trable will talk about putting it on the back burner, right? So we, but I always say you have to acknowledge it, you have to hear it, you have to validate it and know that it's there. And focusing on it hasn't really proven to be the best way to get there. So let's focus on if this is your goal, what behaviors would be really helpful to get a person to that goal? And that's when some of the other things come up. Well, if I drank more water or if I made sure I got enough sleep or if I, so we can, we can name some behaviors that we can start to say, okay, well, let's start with these. And like the side effect will hopefully translate into the goal, but let's take the focus off the goal and focus in a different direction to see where that takes us. It's worth the experiment.
2: Right. Yeah. Focus on the journey, not necessarily the destination. And so in that way, you're still supporting your client in these bigger, you know, medical goals, I guess, to use your word or or desires, but still staying true to what you know to be, right? Your story or your truth, I guess, as far as how you show up and work with people. And, and your belief system. So I appreciate that. That I, I feel like that is how we approach it. But I was curious to know if there was another way that maybe we hadn't tried yet, because it's so difficult, right? It's just oh, I have to lose X amount of pounds, or so and so is doing the same thing and has lost this amount of weight. And My doctor is really on me, and right, you just hear these stories over and over and over again, and I could just cry. I could just cry. The amount of times that you hear this story. And like you said, that power that's given to this over and over again and and maybe it gets us further away from what we want, which ultimately many of us just want to be free of the baloney that is going on up here (laughs) in our heads, right? We just want to live (laughs) our lives, but we don't even realize it because we think this number on the scale, size of our pants, whatever is is how we attain it. And Mm, that's just yeah, not not accurate. So we work with individuals, uh, we do have people who cannot moderate or tolerate sugar, flour, ultra processed foods, that kind of thing. How would they fit into your program? Would, Would that be something that would your program be appropriate for folks who maybe fit that criteria?
1: I think it's all about where the person is on their journey. If there are people that are in that camp, it's what's best for them, right? And that's what we have to focus on what works for you and knowing what works for you. Is that sustainable for you? Can you sustain that for your lifetime? Yes. Good. Let's keep moving forward with finding things that can be the way you take care of your body. And I get to make the choices for myself and my body. I get to make the choices. It's nobody else's choice. You know how I feed my body when I'm hungry, when I'm full, what foods just don't feel good in my body or just send me in a a place that I don't want to be in. Those are all the things that we talk about when it comes to food, because food is, we have to eat. So we have to figure out how, how are we going to, as each individual is going to be different, find our way with food that is self-care for us. And I think about the term self-care has been taken and and changed a little bit to manicures and pedicures and those things. And I I just, self-care is how can I treat this body, this vessel that I live in so that it does the things that I want to be able to do in it, that I can pick up my new grandchild. Like I can pick up my, my grandson and be able to get down on the floor and play and do those things that I want to be able to do with my body. So that's part of this too, is if you're continuing to have the negative self-talk and you've got, you know, you understand the food and the food is you've got the food. I have clients that have got the food stuff under control. They just don't have the movement stuff under control yet or, or the self-talk or the body image pieces. So it's all of it. It's comprehensive. It's not just one thing or another, you know, and being in fitness for forever thinking it's just eat less, move more. I mean, how, uh, for years that was drilled into, into my head and to know that, Hey, there's so many other things that go into our bodies and what we look like and our body shapes and our weight that we can uh, step away from that and look at all these other factors because there's so many things that impact how we take care of ourselves, how we don't take care of ourselves, why we end up in places that we end up in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that answer so much because it is really how we work with the individuals we work with and they feel like they can finally have that more intuitive eating relationship when they consume these foods that they are in relationship, a safe relationship with. So Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that I didn't grow up in this day and age that we are growing up in now and what young adults and teens have access to through social media, whether it's like, you know, some of these either eating disorder websites that, that promote these disordered you know, how thin can I get or whatever? How do we clean up our social media and influence these young adults, predominantly women? I know there is some young men that struggle with this, too. But like, how can we help these young adults, you know, when they are so immersed at a time that like we couldn't even imagine?
1: I know it's 24 seven for them. And for us, it, it wasn't like that. And uh, and it, imagine for us it wasn't like that and how we grew up and having all the all the thought process and the negative self-talk and the body image food the negative relationships that we grew up with so one of i really think this is the the one thing that we can all do is watch our own behavior around our our next generation and that means everywhere so how can we not engage in the conversations around around weight loss or or diet culture? How can we not buy in and join the conversation of everybody picking on their body? Those things happen and we hear them all the time. And how can we have a different relationship with ourselves, even in our own home? I think about, you know, my mother on the phone, you know, with the cord (laughs) in the kitchen and talking to friends about, what they were going to try or or the next diet that they were going to go on or something like that or oh i just need to lose this xyz that's what kids pick up and so it's how can we monitor ourselves and notice how we might have weight bias ourselves how we might respond or look at or talk about people who aren't even there and all of those all of those pieces and i think it's really hard for us to do that because we grew up in a culture that always did that because we didn't have the social media. So now the, the kids, our next generation has not only the parents and the coaches and the teachers and all the other people, and all the other adults in their life buying into diet culture around them, not all of them, but a lot of them, and they have social media in front of them. So, you know, I think as parents and as, as adults who work with children, that can be a starting point. I share a couple of the new Dove videos with some of my with my clients who have children so that they can actually have that, you know, watch that with their children, because I think that that can be really eye-opening for both the parent and the child. And really starting to say, how, how often am I feeling bad about myself when I'm on my phone? How often am I comparing or criticizing, you know, that whole highlight reel, that you see and all I just read a stat that that girls take 14 selfies before they post one. And I went, oh, because that's what they think is what people want to see. And that's what's so hard about all of this is how can we start to normalize the way we look in our bodies, with our hair, with our makeup, all of those things you know, it's that whole, it's the whole beauty industry. So adding to your feed things that make you feel good, anything that, that makes you laugh, that's fun. that's not hurtful against somebody else. And then pulling, you know, deleting some of those sites that sites or people that, and they could be friends. And I say sometimes with friends, it's hard, but you can say, look, look, I want to be, I love you. I want to be your friend, but I, it's really hard for me to just see your stuff. So I'm just going to be your friend and I'll we'll call and talk on the phone and do other things. Not easy conversations for sure. And yet you're the only one that can protect you. And so sometimes some of those hard conversations we have to have with ourselves or with our children or understanding how hard it can be and validating how hard it can be. And you don't understand. And I know I don't understand because I'm I'm older. I didn't grow up in this time. But how do you feel when you see this and when you start to compare yourself with this, it's really, you know, they're tough conversations, but it's that education and open conversation to have with, with your children and, um, and watching yourself. You know, how can I check in with myself and notice when I'm pulling at my shirt or you know, checking myself or or talking about something or somebody or any of those things that just seemed natural for for a long time in our lives. You know, I just I I remember writing I wrote a little just teeny piece of this. But friendships for me were formed because we were both doing the same plan or trying to do the same thing. And so you you, you bond over really destructive, hurtful behavior. <laughs>
2: Right. Or it could be over really positive stuff too. Obviously. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think you're onto something there. and, And it's so interesting because my daughters are nine and six. And, you know, and one of the things that we do at night is we watch just a few minutes of TikToks, you know, or whatever. And because they're with me, I'm very careful about what they see. And typically my TikTok feed is just a bunch of baby animals at this point. Right. So it's like, we're getting our oxytocin and serotonin hit at the end, right. They're doing silly things or they're like, you know, just being cute and cuddly or whatever. But I'm really, I'm really aware of that because I don't, you know, my biggest, one of my biggest fears, not the biggest, but one of my biggest fears, right. Is that I would pass on whatever my disordered thinking behaviors, eating, whatever it might be to my daughters and whether I did it on purpose or not, right. Like I'm trying to be conscious of it, but it's so pervasive that you just don't know. And so it really gets me thinking about social media. How do we influence these younger, these younger kids or folks in general, But I'm also wondering like, what kind of language should we be using about our bodies or our appearances or weight or anything like that? I mean, one of the things I like to say is like, my girls will be like, oh, so-and-so is so pretty. And I'm like, she's pretty, but that's like saying congratulations on your face. Like, why might you like her? Right. Yeah. Like dig deeper. Why might you like her? And it's really funny because my nine-year-old really gets it now. Right. And so she's really stopped saying, Oh, so-and-so is so pretty. I really like her. It's like, well, no, why do you really like her? So she'll tell me, but I'm curious, like what other language could I be using around body weight, appearance, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. It's, and I think it is focusing on their strengths and seeing them for different, different people. You know, where can you, you go underneath that and see and talk about what our bodies do, you know, what, what wonderful things our bodies do. Cause we, our bodies are all going to look different. I think about cars and houses and trees, everything in nature is different. The trees in the forest are all look a little different. They have different colors and shapes and sizes. And all the cars that we see on the road are all a little different. Right. And and how are the insides? How have they been taken care of? What's the you know, what's what does it look like on the inside, too? So if if everything in nature is different, isn't that the way our bodies are supposed to be, too? And to notice, you know, you can highlight how many different sizes and shapes and colors that we see in the world and how that's, no one will be you. So no one, it's really hard to compare yourself to anybody because they don't have your genes. They don't have your, like your gene pool and they don't have your genes (laughs) and they don't have your experiences and the way that you interpret things and all of those things so it's it's only you and this is your only life so you know looking for different qualities and traits educating on the different ways that we can see bodies in the world talking about disabilities and understanding some of those those pieces that I think is important so that opening up the conversation and having those those conversations with kids can be really helpful and they have some really great younger kid books for that to help along that that line. I am right now in the midst of a middle school book because I think that there's something that we need to have something in that, in that realm where we can see how someone can think differently about themselves, show up differently about themselves and influence others around them instead of buying into the click and and doing what everybody else is doing. So, you know, I'm sure whatever we do is the greatest thing that we are doing because that's what we know. And, you know, thinking about what you already know and how we have already come through the past that we've, the journeys that we've come through, that's helpful for us. It gives us wisdom. And um, we hope that that wisdom can be passed on. You know, I know my daughters saw all my bad stuff. They also see me now and understand. So their relationship with their body is different than, you know, so I'm thankful for that, even though they have their, I mean, but that's why body neutrality is so great. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that about like the trees and cars. I often think like, it's like every different breed of dog out there wanting to be a poodle. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense right we all love different big you know different sized dogs and it's about their personality why we fall in love with them right and like Mm -hmm. you know people love poodles too that's great but not every dog needs to be a poodle so (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love that so Let's say I'm just starting to work on this body image journey today. What are like some of the places I should start? What is like some really easy stuff I can just, you know, maybe even start today?
1: Mm. Find your space find that little space and notice the the negative self-talk when you start to you know notice what you do when you look in the mirror when you brush your teeth just notice the voices in your head because i think that once we awareness is a, a grand success that's the first step on changing anything is to be aware that wow i am not very kind to my body or to myself and that allows for that space how can I find a neutral statement for my nose or for my ears or for whatever it is, for my thighs, for my belly and those when we can start to have neutral ways to talk through our body parts, that's a helpful starting point. You know, my legs allow me to do this. My eyes allow me to do this, you know, my arms and I always think about hugging or carrying things with my arms and our hands, like our fingers. And, and there are so many people that don't have all of their faculties. And so how, for them, how can they roll it back and say, but these are the things I can't do. You know, if we focus on what our bodies can't do or what our bodies look like, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more out of proportion with our own brain. It just gets muddy. The waters get muddied. And so changing the conversation that you're having with yourself is step one, and it doesn't even have to be anything other than being coming aware, taking a couple of deep breaths and not jumping in to the old patterns. And then the other piece that I think is very simple and helpful is how can I be grateful for my body today? What one thing did my body do for me today? Oh, it got out of bed. Oh, I took a shower. It could be so simple and feel silly, but that's where it starts is, Oh, I got to see the sun come up. Oh, I got to, you know, Oh, I heard that, that little dog yapping across the street. So, you know, that, or the baby laughing or whatever it might be, but utilizing our senses is a great way to start because our senses are so keen and they're easy to describe. And then we can start from there. We can turn into our hands and our arms and our, our noses and our bellies, our, our thighs and our feet And how can, you know, if it starts with the fingernail, I say that to my clients, if it starts with the fingernail, it starts the fingernail, but we'll get there one little body part at a time. It's seeing it differently. Cause once you can see one thing differently, it starts to snowball a little bit more. So
2: I think that's really great, really great advice. Thank you so much for that. I think. I'm going to go practice some of this back (laughs) today. Absolutely. Okay. So we are running out of time. So we've just got a few more questions for you. Um, so we heard that you're working on a book for middle school aged kiddos. Mm -hmm. What else might you be working on and how can folks find you? Well,
1: they can join the body joyful revolution on Facebook. That is my, my free Facebook group. It is a place where we're changing the conversation and helping the mission in that group is really to help reduce weight stigma and body shaming and bullying and eating disorders, disordered eating, all of those things, changing, creating role models who are changing the conversation. So anybody can go in there and be part of that that wonderful group. And so that's the place you can meet me. That's where I'm, in, I'm in there. And if anybody wants a copy of the book, it is the, the book is it's available anywhere books are sold, but I also anybody on a gift for your listeners is if anybody wants the book, if they just write book in the subject line and at the bodyjoyful.com, I will send out the digital copy for them right away. So it's cause this is what it's all about is to change this conversation and thank you for the work that you guys do. Cause that's it's so needed in our society so either on the revolution or they can get the book and those are the places they can see me. So I lay out the whole thing in there too. So what helped me, so.
0: Amazing. And we will link that in all of the show notes as well so that everyone uh, knows exactly where to find you. And then we will finish up with our signature question, which is, if you could tell a younger version of yourself something about body image, what would it be?
1: This is such a hard question. Because I know you say ask it right, so I have like a a, like a letter, (laughs) of course, (laughs) to myself. But um, I think the biggest thing is that bodies come in all sizes and shapes, and that's what I wish I had known. That it's okay to be in different sizes and different shapes, and just because you're in a bigger body doesn't mean you're not healthy. And just because you're in a smaller body doesn't mean that you're healthy. We know people in all size bodies that are healthy and unhealthy. And if someone had said that to me, you know, when I was younger, I just, I just didn't know any different. And so I always just thought that's what I have to look like in order for my life to be okay. And to just know that, no, your body's always going to change. It will change every single day. You've been in lots of bodies so far, and it's always going to be different and that's okay, especially as we get older. So
0: <laughs> no, it's so true. It's just that your body is like your vehicle to get to enjoy this life, right? Mm-hmm. Not the focus of it. It's just the vehicle. So thank you yeah. so much. And for you. being here today has been such a fantastic conversation.
1: Thank you so much. Folks, I appreciate it. Thank you.